for listening to Hope Central's latest message. You can learn more about Hope Central or find more messages at hopecentral.org.au. be talking today again about a series I started a couple weeks ago uh, called Living on a Prayer. And uh, the reason I call it Living on a Prayer is because what, what you may not know is that every good thing that you have ever received from God is the result of God, of something that someone's prayed to God for. That we get what other people have faithfully asked. I don't, I don't know about you, but like my parents prayed for me as I was growing up, and I am a byproduct of their prayers. When Jesus said yes to them, he transformed me. And prayer is a very powerful thing. We, in fact, many people kind of think of prayer as sort of the secondary thing. Human effort is what's going to bring about, or good fate, or certain circumstances are going to bring what I want. But prayer is sort of a, you know, a useless, you know, occasional tool. In fact, when people say they're living on a prayer, it's kind of almost a hopeless thing. And then that's what that song is about. Eh, halfway there, oh, living on a prayer. Um, sorry, I can't sing. Uh, that's right. That's not your fault. Uh, but when we, our confidence actually comes from the fact that Christ Jesus prayed for every single benefit that we receive in him, that he asked for these things. And Christ Jesus is a very confident and assured prayer. And the thing about his prayers is that the prayers of Jesus Christ are answered. They are answered now, and they will be answered into the future. And gradually over time, everything that is part of the kingdom of this world is going to be ultimately brought under the kingdom of Jesus Christ. You see, Christ's prayer is always answered yes and amen. And prayer is a very powerful thing, but it has consequences. I don't know if you know this. When you pray for something, you've got to be able to deal with it. How many people ever prayed to have children? And then prayed to get them somehow stuck back into, you know, like, get, get, Lord, I, I, I repent. Please take them back. Um, you probably you prayed to get married. And you're like, what? This is the answer to that prayer? Crazy. Like, you know, sorry. You know, the, how it is. I remember one time I was, um, uh, four years ago, because Lily just reminded me of this the other day. Uh, four years ago, I was praying, as I, am, as I always do for my children. And um, I was praying for Lily. And I felt the Lord say to me, when prayer, the Lord said to me, you need to release her. Now, she'd just finished year 12 and was planning out her future career. And a lot of that had to do with the opportunities in the modeling world. And I was praying for her, and, I was, and the Lord said to me, you need to release her. And so I, I responded to that with faith and said, Lord, okay, I, I pray and I surrender Lily to you for whatever you plan for her. And in a week, within a week, she was living in Melbourne. I thought, hang on a second. <laughs> you, didn't, uh, you didn't tell me that earlier, did you? You kept that little secret, didn't you? Like, I'm not saying the Lord is at all sneaky. He's just more powerful. I, I, I prayed, and then the, the consequence of the prayer was that he acted in a way that was to his desire and will for her that I had less control over and I had to get used to. But... The thing about the prayer of Jesus and the prayer that Jesus offered the Father is that it has deep consequences. When we talked last week, I shared about how this psalm prayer, this prayer in the Psalms, 
is a prayer that Jesus prayed. And I'm going to show you in a minute where he prayed it in John chapter 17. But here at the beginning of, of the book of Psalms, there is a prayer that, that God offers to his son. God invites Jesus to pray this. He says, I'll tell you this decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son, and today I have begotten you. Now ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. I really just want to focus on this consequences. Last week we talked about the the prayer. Today I want to talk about the consequences of the prayer. Notice how immediately after he says, ask of me, he said, Jesus, if you ask of me, I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. But the consequences of that is that you will break them with a rod of iron and dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. I want to just take a moment and emphasize that by showing you just a little bit more of that verse. He says this, now therefore, my son is going to pray this prayer, now therefore, you kings of the world, you better watch out. He's saying, you be be wise, Be, be smart about this. Be warned, O rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled, and blessed are all those who take refuge in him. I, I want you to feel, can you, I want you to just feel with me. I want you to feel the weight of that. I want you to feel the warning of that. My son is going to ask me for the, to, to rule the nations, and I'm going to say yes. Now, you better be careful then, the rest of you people of the world, because if he's in charge, your relationship to him matters. If he's in charge, your relationship to him matters. Um, I would like you to, to answer this question, or I'm just going to raise the question. What does the word gospel mean? What does the word gospel mean? If, you, if you've been around a Christian church for a long time, you've probably heard the word gospel a lot. Gospel this, gospel that. If you read the Bible, there's four books in the New Testament that start off with the gospel of Matthew, the gospel of Mark, the gospel of Luke, the gospel of John. The word gospel is something that we kind of either associated with black harmony singers or, you know, even just church. What does gospel mean? Now, most people understand that the word gospel basically translates to be good news or to be a good telling of something, good, good valuable information that you really want to hear. This is great good news. And here's how, it normally, here's how you normally hear it in church. Good news. Jesus died for you so that you can have eternity in heaven. Good news. Jesus has paid the price for your sin. Good news. You can have a relationship with God Because of what Jesus has done. This is fantastic news. Because if the good news is you get to work hard to be a good person, that's actually bad news. Because I can't work hard enough to be a good person. I need the good news. I need Jesus to save me. But I want to just share with you that the word gospel meant something a little more than that back in the time when the word was first used. Now, here in the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew... Here's a story about the first time in the New Testament where the word gospel is used. And here's the setting. 
It says, as he went throughout Galilee, that is Jesus, teaching in their synagogues. The synagogues were places of worship for the Jewish people that happened after the, the time where they were sent into captivity. They learned to practice their worship in these small communities called synagogues. And there was usually one or several in the townships there where they lived. So Jesus is going into these places of worship. And he's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And he's also healing every disease and every affliction among the people. And so his fame spread throughout all Syria. And they brought him all the sick. And those afflicted with various diseases and pains. Those oppressed by demons. And those having seizures and paralytics. And he healed them. Notice this. That Christ Jesus goes to where the people are. And he begins to proclaim to them... The gospel of the kingdom, the the good news of the kingdom of God. And then he demonstrates this very fact by his healings, his deliverances, the ministry that he does to people. It's like Jesus comes into town and goes, there is great good news. I am here to tell you that the kingdom of God is being set up. And then he begins to demonstrate that by people who are outside of the kingdom of God receive the help and love of the king of the kingdom. He delivers them from their sicknesses. He delivers them from their diseases. He delivers them from demonic powers. He begins to establish the order and the rule of his kingdom. Do you see that? Do you see how one kingdom is in coming into conflict with another kingdom? The kingdom of darkness is being impeded on by this kingdom of light. And Jesus has come proclaiming, I am here. My kingdom has come. Now, it's very important that you see the worry, the word gospel and kingdom go together. So let me explain. Have you ever heard of the gospel of Caesar? No. Most, most people haven't. It's actually um, in archaeology, which is a great science where they, dis- they discover and study old things. They found um, a writing that talks about the gospel of Caesar. You know, the good news of Caesar. As far as I know, the good news of Caesar was there was no Caesar. Like, how is Caesar good news? But this happened at a time when Caesar, the very first Caesar that was a proper Caesar was a guy named Caesar Augustus. He was born Gaius Octavian. Uh, He lived between 63 BC and 14 AD. Does anybody know what that roughly coincides with? Yeah, Jesus, okay. So we're talking about the same moment in history. Let me just say, this guy, um, Caesar Augustus, he inherited sort of the, the lineage of Julius Caesar, and that's where he, the namesake Caesar comes from. And then after Caesar Augustus uh, sort of fought Mark Anthony and Cleopatra and all of those guys at that time, he essentially established himself as sort of the dictator of the Roman people. But he kept the title of Augustus because he wanted to see as a benevolent dictator. He was the, the princeps. He was the first top guy, but he kept the Senate in power. It's kind of the way that Darth Vader ruled the galaxy. Do you know what I'm talking about? Right. So he's like, he's like, he, he was the first single person to take over the Roman empire because before that they hated Kings and they wanted a Republic, but this guy took it over. He became the boss man. And if you didn't do what he wanted, you were out. Now there is a calendar called the Prien calendar found in archaeology, and the inscription is called that because it refers to the birthday of Caesar Augustus, or Augustus Caesar. It represents the beginning of a new era. 
the beginning of the gospel announcing his kingdom that heralded peace and salvation for all of his people. Does that sound familiar? Does that, does you, you can't hear doing a, a, a thing in your head where you're like, hey, that's how they do this. You know, like, all right. So the term, now it's in, written in Greek there, but that term is euangelion, which is the word that we translate gospel was used at that time in the Roman Empire to herald the good news of the arrival of a kingdom, the reign of a king that brought a war to an end so that all people of the world who surrendered and pledged allegiance to this king would be granted salvation from destruction. That's what the word gospel means. It's the proclamation of a new kingdom. But notice the proclamation. All the people of the world who, what? Surrendered and pledged allegiance to this king would be granted salvation from destruction. So let me just, just imagine that you are, let's just pick um, Gaul, right? Uh, People of history, what are you talking about, Joe? Uh, Like France. And Caesar, he wants to take over France, which he did, and he invades the people of Gaul, which is what it was called then, and then he says to them, after he smashed their armies to bits, good news, the kingdom of Augustus Caesar has come to you, and if you submit to this kingdom, you will have a blessed, blessed peace. Isn't that good news? Isn't that fantastic news? If you don't submit, do you know what happens? You are an enemy of the kingdom of Caesar. And do you know what the kingdom of Caesar does to enemies? When he destroys them. You see, this, this word gospel was sarcastically used in order to say, this is me, I'm coming to announce my kingdom and my rule, and I will have my way. And you can either submit to my kingdom or you cannot submit to my kingdom, but either way, my kingdom is not changing. And if you come into my kingdom, you can be part of all the benefits. Now, if you're Caesar Augustus, you probably don't want much of that, because he is He is a human being with every kind of corrupt thing that human beings have. But I want to tell you this. Jesus Christ has no corruption in him whatsoever. There is nothing evil or bad or hurtful about anything that's in Jesus Christ. There is nothing crushing. There's nothing oppressive. There's nothing that restricts you or takes something from you. There is nothing about the gospel of the kingdom of Jesus Christ that in any way takes life from you. It only gives you life. But you still have to enter in. Now, the prayer that God answered is, when Jesus prayed this prayer, you're my my son, today I've begotten you, ask of me, and I'll make the nations of your inheritance, the ends of earth your possessions. This is the prayer that Jesus prayed. It says, when Jesus spoke these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven, and he said, The Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is the eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Now, this is the prayer that God said yes. Notice in the prayer that Jesus prayed, 
understanding, because he oftentimes prayed with the full knowledge of God according to the will of God, he prayed, you have given me authority over all flesh. Everything is now under my power. And you have given me the authority to give life, to give eternal life, which means that people get to be in a relationship with you. Now, one of the things, can I just stop here? I just want to complain about something for a minute. Uh, this is just for the highlight reel. I, I just get so annoyed when people complain about Christianity being exclusive. And let me tell you why I get annoyed. Not because it's not exclusive. It absolutely is exclusive. But I get annoyed because they think that there are other inclusive things. For example, let me say this. People get annoyed when, when we say that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. You know that verse? And people get annoyed. How can you say that? Because there's plenty of ways to God. And you can do this and that religion. And you can try all this. And like, you know what annoys me? It's like saying, Jesus, I know that you died so that your body, your physical person, your humanity, you could become the door to open up into heaven. And I'm so ticked that you've become the door. How dare you call yourself a door? Oh, look at me. I'm the way to the Father. Who do you think you are? Well, you're so exclusive. What about the Buddha door or the Allah door? What about all these other doors? Come on, there's plenty of doors. <laughs> what people are really complaining about, they don't understand there was no door. There's not door options. There's not like you work it option. There's not Buddhist option. There's no options. There's only one doorway between heaven and earth. There's only one. And then you complain. Oh, how dare you call yourself a door? Well, if I'm not the door, there is no door. Sorry, I'm just complaining. Just, you, you know what I'm saying? How dare you stand there and be a door? I'm a doorway so you can get in, for goodness sake. You're like, right. So he prays this prayer. Father, make me the pathway of life from heaven to earth. Make me the source of all goodness to every person. Make me... Make me the one that everybody can have eternal life to, and I will give them eternal life because I have the power to give it. You, you understand? It's, it's wonderful. Now, the, the good news is that Jesus has made, was made both Lord and Christ and is now ruling over his kingdom of peace and salvation for all who come to him. That is the absolute best news ever. Jesus Christ is ruling in a position where I don't care what someone else says. If Jesus Christ says you're in, you're in. I don't care how bad you've been. If Jesus says you're forgiven, you're forgiven. I don't care what you've been up to because Christ has more authority over you than this world does. Because Christ is in that position. That's the great news. You come into the kingdom, you share all of the benefits of the king. The bad news is, if you're not in, you're out. I, I just want to... I'm going to... Um, I'm going to just... You might want to just put your big boy pants on. I'm about to change gears here. I've been praying about this for about a year, about this message. And um, I'm about to uh, perhaps punch you straight in the face. Um, the book of Hebrews, are you ready for this or not? 
Okay, okay, you're right. All right. Can we be serious here for a minute? You know, I know I'm the jokey Canadian guy. No, serious times. Book of Hebrews, chapter 12. He says, See that you do not refuse him who's speaking. Because if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will they escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. Now, what this is referring to, just so you know, is that in the Old Testament, the law of Moses was the law. That was the law, the covenant that God had given. And if you wanted to relate to God, you related to God through that covenant. Now, when God established that covenant, the whole earth shook. God descended and met with Moses on Mount Sinai, and everybody was in terror because of the power and the authority of God. And he says, I shook. When I'm establishing that covenant under Moses, I shook the whole earth. But I'm going to shake it again. And this time I'm shaken in by the one that's from heaven, and that is Christ Jesus. That's why he quotes from Haggai chapter 2, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens, meaning I'm shaking up the order of earth and of heaven. Now, he goes on to say, this phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made in order that the things cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. This is not playtimes. It's not tinker toys. It's, sorry, you probably don't even have that. It's not, it's not imagination. Let's have a little fun time. This is serious, serious business. Make sure, can I make this appeal to you? Please, can I have your attention? Make sure you do not refuse Jesus. Do not refuse his invitation. His invitation is come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. His invitation, all who come to me will be saved. His invitation is, let my death on the cross count for your righteousness. His invitation is, let me give you life. Let me rule in your world. That's his invitation. And he says, please, please, please do not refuse him who's, who's speaking. Because the first time he spoke, the earth shook. The second time he spoke, we're shaking the heavens and the earth because we're trying to remove everything that can be shaken. That is, the things that are made. Things that you make. The things that depend on you. The things that are about your religion and your goodness and your trying and your power. He's removing everything that we make so that he can give us what he has. Do you understand? And so he says, see to it, you don't refuse me. Let me be the Lord. Because if you refuse me, you live in the shaken world. And so, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. I just want to tell you these things. You are unshakably loved. You are unshakably loved. This is the one thing that you need to know the most, is that nothing will shake the love of God. Because it didn't, it wasn't made by you. The love that he has does not come because you're lovable. It comes because he is loving. 
He's trying to give you his perfect, unshakable love. See to it that you don't refuse that. Take that love. Take the real, only love there is. Take his love. And you are given that if you are in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. You are in a place where no matter what you do or where you go or how you fail, you will never fall out of his love. It is unshakable. It's not made by your hands. You're unshakably protected. And the, the day you enter into the kingdom of Jesus Christ, your destiny is certain. You know, nobody's going to steer you off into destruction. Nobody's going to make sure that you can't live the life that you're not called to live. You are protected because God becomes sovereign in your life. And even if that means bad things happen, it doesn't matter. God is there in the bad things. He is holding you together so that no matter what happens around you, you are protected. And you will ultimately live forever with him in eternity. And you are unshakably blessed. The blessing that God wants to pour out in your life is not because you are worthy of it or because you achieved something or because you were even worth blessing, but because God's blessings are irrevocable. He wants to pour those things out to you in Christ Jesus so that you walk continually in there. But the problem is, you don't believe that you're blessed. You don't believe that you're anointed. You don't believe that you've been gifted. You don't believe that you've got what God wants for you. That's because you refused him who spoke. So don't refuse him. Let his purpose of blessing you be fulfilled according to his will. And you are unshakably promised. You are promised an eternity in heaven. You are promised a resurrection from the dead. You are promised to be invited into the purposes of Christ and then swept into his purposes and glory. And these promises are irrevocable. They are unchangeable. And those are the promises that ground us in life so that then we can make steps. Then we can make choices because we know that God has promised us something for our future. We live according to the promises. But our response is then, let us offer God acceptable worship with reverence and awe because our God is a consuming fire. You see, the response to living a life in Christ Jesus is that we live a God-focused life, a God-worshiping life, a God-pleasing life, a God-devoted life. He's called us into his kingdom. See to it that we don't refuse him who speaks. I want to finish by reading a parable of Jesus. It comes from Matthew chapter 25. It forms the four parables that Jesus, it's one of the four parables that Jesus told just before his death and resurrection. And all of these parables have to do with um, how we are supposed to live until his coming. He's, He's going to return again. And these parables outline the character and the values of the people who are part of his kingdom. And here's how the parable goes. It's an easy to understand parable. I don't actually think there's a lot of need for interpretation because if you can't get the message of this, um, I'm not going to say anything about that. (laughs) Jesus said, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. 
Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. And as the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here's the bridegroom! Come out to meet him! Then all those virgins rose up and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterwards, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. There's only really one lesson. If you don't have enough oil, you won't last until he comes. That's the only lesson. If you don't have enough oil, you won't last until he comes. So get more oil. And never, ever surrender your oil. Get more oil and never surrender it. Here is my message. If you're not devoted to Jesus Christ with a love that's growing, with a depth of passion, with a curiosity to discover more, you won't last. And if you're low on oil, you should get oil now. You should grow your devotion now. You should spend time in prayer now. You should read now. You should go to Him now. You should ask for more oil now because your love for Him is weak. His love for you is strong, but our love for Him is just weak. And if we don't re-nourish and rekindle and refire our love for Him, then we won't last in this two-kingdom polarity. We will get pulled into the other kingdom, and we will begin to live and think and act like this earth is our home. But Jesus is calling us, let me restore your oil. Come to me. Can Can I just say this? We're being really serious right now. Some of you need to repent. You need to repent because you have wandered away from him. Church can become even a distraction. 
it's not about church. It's about Jesus Christ. If you know him, then you will be filled with love for him. But if you have made choices that have distracted you or taken away, or maybe your life, just because it's so long and you've got so many things going on, there's so many pressures and you found yourself, your oil is out, you need to repent now and you need to return to him and you need to follow him and you need to devote your life to him. You need to come into your kingdom so like he can rule over you and you can live in his kingdom. So Father, I thank you that you give us the capacity to know what you're saying through your Holy Spirit. And so my prayer is right now, Father, that you would, by your Holy Spirit, stir our hearts to know how to respond to you. What is the message that you want for us to hear? What is the desire that you have? What is the correction that you have? Father, I pray that you would give conviction to the people here today that you are calling to return to you. They have not committed themselves to you. They've been walking astray. They've been living lives that are full of other desires and passions. Lord, they've been rebellious to you. Lord, the people that have drifted, I pray, Lord, that you bring them home now. Let them hearts be hearing you and give them a spirit of repentance. Holy Spirit, release repentance in us. Maybe you want to just pray along with me and say, Jesus Christ, forgive me. Forgive me for not staying fully focused on you. Forgive me for letting things slide. Forgive me from being tempted away. Lord, I repent and I embrace you again. I kiss the sun. I come to you so that I can enter your kingdom and be under your rule and power and dominion. So Lord Jesus, I come and I submit myself to you and I pray that you fill my oil again, fill my lamp again. Let me burn brightly in devotion to you. Lord, I pray that you heal my heart, even as I spend time in worship now, that you draw me closer in love to you and light the flame of passion for you in me so that it burns until you come again. Lord Jesus, do this work in us, we pray. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Hope Central in Adelaide, South Australia. If you want more information about who we are, visit us at hopecentral.org.au or join us for Sunday worship at any of our three campuses.